Good evening and welcome into another edition of Gateway to Baseball Heaven. I'm your host, Daniel Shoftal, C70, it's bat at C70 on Twitter. With me is Tara Nichols, uh, Tara Wellman on the Twitters and Birds on the Black on the websites. Um, coming to you Friday, on Wednesday, whatever day this is, Sunday. <laughs> They're Father's all the same, right? Yeah, they all blend together. It's Father's Day. I hope all the fathers out there have had a a good day um the fathers on the cardinals less so as they dropped the game uh, to the red Sox, losing the series um tara it was an interesting week of baseball i guess to say the least um before we get into this weekend though i think we probably ought to you know flash back a little bit talk a little bit about miles michael is taking a no hitter to bottom of the ninth with two strikes um against the pirates you know, Alan and I talked about this on Make Me Unusual, but when you were watching that, did you think he had it? Did you think he was going to get there? It's interesting. You know, we had uh, my husband, Siri Steve, on with us last <laughs> week talking a little bit of Cubs Cardinals, but just sort of in general. And we were having a conversation ongoing as that game continued about, okay, do you leave him in? Do you let him go for it? Is this a, a moment where you kind of think long-term about your pitching equation and the value of having a, <laughs> a healthy Miles Michaelis after this night? Where do you draw that line? Um, and so we were tossing around these different ideas and, and scenarios of like, how important is this no-hitter compared to how important is having Miles Michaelis effective, not just available for the next start, the next stretch down the road, whatever it might be. Um, Cause you're watching that pitch count climbing as we all do. And there's so much of an emphasis on that these days that it's almost impossible to not sit there watching think, okay, what is the, what is the actual line? Cause we all know, you know, around a hundred pitches you start, well, okay. <laughs> what exactly is around a hundred pitches is 130 still around a hundred pitches. What are we talking about here? So, <laughs> you know, as we're watching it go along, he's clipping right through quick innings, not looking like he's laboring too much. And that's typically, of course, when we see a manager say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll push that line a little bit. We'll, we'll give him the opportunity to get through it. And, you know, he came out for the ninth and we we're thinking, okay, he's put himself in this position um, you know, no hitters compared to being healthy the rest of the season is a conversation that can be had at a different point. Right now, it's just cool, right? And you want to see him get it. So sent him out there thinking, okay, give him a chance, see what happens. If somebody if somebody gets on or if he throws like 12 pitches in an at-bat or something like that, <laughs> maybe, you know, you go ahead and make a move. It didn't seem like they were in any hurry, though, um, in terms of backup for Miles Michaelis in that situation. So um, it's... I don't know to directly answer your question if I thought he had it as much as it is like this is where everything you think you know, <laughs> everything that you think you've seen um, watching the game or I can only imagine pitching in that moment has to be so concentrated and so like tunnel vision in order to not be thrown off by the buzz and the excitement and the history in the making and all of those things. And, um, you know, Miles Michaelis is a pretty easygoing guy, it seems, but you could tell by his reaction um, to the eventual hit and after the game that, man, he was, he really wanted that. <laughs> he really wanted to have it and really wanted to close it out. And that's what I always think about is that, you know, this matters so much to us as fans because we just think it's cool, uh, but it matters so much to those players too, who, <laughs> 
they're already achieving at such a high level and yet they still want to be able to say they did this thing at an even higher level and and to just feel that accomplishment in all of those things so i think when the ball went into the air i knew it wasn't just a a high fly ball that was going to be a walk in the park for Harrison Bader, but it's Harrison Bader. So you figure mm-hmm. if somebody's going to come up with a spectacular play, it would be him. Um, and it just, you know, it was a hard enough hit. It was maybe not the perfect pitch that Miles Michaelis was looking for. And those things combined to, to end his night without the, quite the fanfare that I, he was so close to. So, you know, again, there were all these conversations leading up to it about, is this smart? Is this safe? Is this a good idea? Should he still be out there? But at the end of it, it was like, man, I really, I really would have loved to see him, you know, have that experience. And the thing that I think is so cool about no hitters is that, you know, it's not just the pitcher, right? Like it, it's, right. it's a pitcher stat as most things are, you know, when you're talking about wins and losses and those things, we've talked about that a hundred times, pitcher wins, not the most indicative stat in terms of how well a pitcher performed um a no hitter is really the same way in the no hitters that you see there are multiple like highlight real defensive plays mm-hmm. that allow it to be a no hitter so it's as much a team accomplishment as anything um and you could see how badly every one of those guys in the in the um field defensively wanted it too and it's just fun. It's fun to feel that energy. It's fun to feel the buzz. It's defeating when it doesn't happen. But it reminds you that it's it's rare for a reason because it's really hard, regardless of the opponent, to keep major league players from doing what major league players are supposed to do. Yeah, it is a, a difficult thing for sure. And you're right. I mean, if it gets into Harrison Bader range and, and Harrison Bader thinks he should have caught it too, even yeah. though it was what I think they did the math and, and everything. And it would have been like, it was like a less than 20% chance that he could have caught that ball because of where he was positioned. And it doesn't matter. He still thinks he should have had it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he almost did. I mean, if, if he had been probably a step or two back um, when that ball was hit, he probably catches that thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's only two pitchers on the staff, uh, Miles Michaelis and Adam Wainwright that have a chance to, to throw in a winner just because of that. Cause I don't, cause the, uh, of the arms and protecting them, everybody else yep. is young enough. They're exactly. not going to do that. Dakota Hudson can throw 130 pitches in five innings. Um, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, so and it'll know, take the, seven hours. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> but so it was like, okay, you've got the right pitcher. You've got the right time. You've got the right team. I mean, it's the pirates and mm-hmm. not that again, not that that means anything. Cause it doesn't, all it takes is a, a blue pit or whatever, but you know, if you're, if you're going to go up against a team for a no hitter, you'd rather be Pittsburgh than like the Dodgers or something of that nature. <laughs> right. Um, so it, it felt like it was all gonna, you know, ma- mesh into this one perfect moment. And I, you know, when that ball was put up, I thought, oh, okay. And then it just kind of carried a little farther and, and it's a good story. And then you put him in the, in the same category as Michael Walker, that, that, you know, the one in 13, um, that, you know, the, the ball that was tipped. Uh, and then you know, another no hitter a few years later, and it wasn't got it to the ninth. He didn't get it to the last batter, but um, I think those are the closest that we've come to since Bud Smith. So it's a little bit, you know, for all the success the Cardinals have had, and you're right, it is a team thing um, instead of just a pitcher thing, but 
for all the success this team has had to not be able to have that is it's just one of those things that's just a little bit frustrating, especially when, you know, they've been part of a no-hitter, just not on the right side. <laughs> yeah, it's wild when you think about that, though. And what's interesting is that I think sometimes these guys who have no-hitters or who are close to perfect games or, or pull that off, um, they're not always the guy that you think it's going to be. And I would, I would actually say rarely is it the guy that you think that it's going to be for just the oddness and randomness of baseball mm-hmm. and somebody gets in a groove or the opponent is right, or the matchups are good or, or whatever it might be. You know, your defensive positioning is, is flawless that day, whatever comes into right. play in making that happen. And it's not always the guy that you think, oh, this is, this is who's going to get the no hitter or the perfect game for this team. But the Cardinals have had so much success on the pitching side of things and I think it's it's funny saying that because I think the pitching has been a bit of a struggle um, in terms of consistency the last handful of years. We've talked about what they need on the starting pitching side of things and you know the fact that they're relying on Adam Wainwright to really lead their rotation in what may be his final year uh, as a major league player. Um, you know, those sorts of things don't seem to add up when you look at all the success the Cardinals have had from a pitching standpoint. Uh, but there have been some great names. There have been some great arms in that mix that certainly had every chance that anybody else had to to pull off a no-hitter. And when you put great defense behind them, um, it sort of feels like it's only a matter of time. But I guess I guess that can be a very long time <laughs> and still be a matter of time. Yeah, that's right. It absolutely could be. Um, speaking of the pitching staff, the starters have been, it feels like pretty much holding their own, right? We've added Andre Palante into the rotation at the moment. Jack Flaherty came back and didn't look quite like Jack, uh, but, you know, first outing. So we'll see how he does against the Brewers this week. But the bullpen has been, well, almost, I hate to say hit or miss, but that really feels like what it is, right? I mean, the, the Cardinals go all series without seeing Giovanni Gallegos or Ryan Helsley take the mound, which is not the first time this year because either they win big or, you know, they're close enough that the t- behind that the Cardinals don't want to use those guys. Um, but the problem is there's some weak links out there still. Um, what is your take? And, and again, I know we talked about it last week. You haven't been living and breathing with this team for a bit, but yeah. what's your thought on, kind of this feels like split. And I think we've talked about it in the other years past too, but you know, there's the good guys, there's the, not the good guys, and there's not a whole lot in between. Right. You know, I will say, I think this is one of the things that I've yet to really get a handle on just because I, I didn't watch so closely for the first really two months of the season. Um, and I, I feel like I'm a little bit behind in figuring out what the actual <laughs> bullpen drama is or, or what the case may be. You mentioned that the starting pitching has kind of held its own. Uh, to be perfectly candid, I, I'm still a bit shocked at that because of the, uh, I guess, just the question marks about some of the players who have filled in in those spots, right? You mentioned mm-hmm. Palante, who I, I I don't know that he would have been considered as one of the, you know, consistent every five day starters that this team needed at the very beginning of the year. And that's in, in part due to opportunity and to circumstance, but it's also in part due to just seizing the moment and taking mm-hmm. advantage of those opportunities and doing fairly well with it, right? So giving him the credit for that. Um, I, I think Dakota Hudson, be, <laughs> I, this is one of the, the things that, like I said, pitching 
I'm I'm still picking up some of the pieces because <laughs> uh, my dad and I were talking today about the team and he said something about Dakota Hudson and and I said you know what like this is terrible but because he's not pitched a game that I've actually had a chance to sit down and watch I feel like I forget that Dakota Hudson is in the starting rotation right now because it's been so long since we did see him on a a consistent basis Um, but there are issues there as well he just kind of is what it is at this point and you know that going in Um, the bullpen is it's always that's always the trick, right? If you have a strong bullpen, I almost feel like it's as much by accident (laughs) as it is by intention. And that doesn't mean that there isn't strategy that goes into putting the pieces in play that you really believe are going to have success in any given situation. But we all know that bullpen arms are volatile and they're inconsistent from season to season. You know, TJ McFarlane doing things this year that he didn't do last year Mm. or that he didn't do when it was really important last year or doing, you know, it just, those things happen in bullpens and it's not surprising. So it's really just this sort of trial and error of putting different guys in the mix at, at different times. And you're right. When you, when you don't want to go to your primary, you know, consistent relievers um, day in and day out, but you also have something particular in mind for when to use them and how to use them, then you're filling in the gaps in between, right? If it's not Mm -hmm. a game where it makes sense to use Gallegos, or if it's not a a situation that makes sense to use Gallegos, what else do you have? Who else is there? And if you're going to have these inconsistencies with those other guys in the bullpen, you know, mixing guys in and out is one thing, but it's, like I said, I feel like it's far less strategy and, and far more just like, hey, we know that this person is majorly capable, but is he in this exact moment at this exact time <laughs> going to live up to that capability? We don't know until we try it and then try it again. And unfortunately, you know, it often leads to frustrating losses while you're sorting out those those middle innings in this mix um, because it's it's not as much of an exact science as, as people would like for it to be. No, it's not. And, um, somewhat of our, um, fans get out for blood, I guess, to some degree. And, (laughs) um, you know, I think if most fans had had their way, TJ McFarland would have been released by now. Mm. Um, there's no guarantee that they would have found somebody better to put him, put in there. And there's some interesting article this, this weekend about what the club's looking for out of McFarland and what they think that they still feel like there's something there that they're still trying to work on it. But, you know, and there, there are games where he looks fine and there's games that he doesn't. Um, And the dicey thing is trying to bring him in because right now you've got, you've got him, you've got Whitgren, possibly even Verhagen that you don't necessarily want to bring into a game that you're leading. Right. Um, which, and then you've got guy goes Guerrera Helsley that you don't want to bring in if you're not leading because you hate to waste them. Mm-hmm. Um, which pretty much just leaves you with Johan Alviedo. And I'm pretty sure he's kind of with the, um, I, they're still trying to figure out what he is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, so I don't know. I, I don't, obviously you can't have, you know, eight closers, in your bullpen. I mean, that's just not the way that bullpens are constructed. There's always going to be some weak links. Um, 
I, I just don't know. Hopefully they can find a way to strengthen some of those weak things, or at least get these guys to where they feel a little bit more confident in putting them in closer games or the Cardinals can just score 11 runs every night, which is fine as well if they want to do that. But you know, this it's, it just feels like, you know, you can determine what this game is going to be by the first reliever that comes out of the gate. You know, if they go to Cabrera or they go to Helsley, there's a, you know, there's a good chance they're going to win that game. If they're going to McFarland or they're going to, you know, maybe even Verhagen, it's a lot iffier. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those fascinating pieces about baseball to me that I think if you go back and listen to a mid June podcast, um, any year, (laughs) any year that (laughs) we've done it, probably we're probably saying the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. We're probably saying, Oh, those middle innings or, Oh, we got to find a closer or Oh, the bullpen to some degree. Now, Look, there have been years where everything just fits and it clicks and there are bullpens that, you know, you talk about shortening games because it's a very real thing. You know, you, if your starter can get you five, the the rest of the game is shut down. But that's rare for a reason. Um, you know, and I think that there's always this sort of bouncing around and trying to find that right mix of pieces um, because, like you just said, Sometimes TJ McFarland looks fine. Last year, a lot of times he looked fine. But what is the actual expectation of him this year? Is it the same? Are they doing something or trying to utilize him differently based on the success he did have last year? Or, you know, is this a matter of a, a physical thing or is it a mental thing? Is it a situational? Th- There's just so many layers to trying to figure out how to go from one guy who's really good at doing things consistently to a couple guys at the end of games that you know you can more often than not trust to get three outs right but what do you do in the middle is one of the biggest questions i think in baseball and it's it's kind of wild to me that it's the guys that are often um and i and i don't mean this in in any sort of as any sort of knock to the players but they're almost the least notable that are asked to fill in those innings when, you know, you go back and look at games where they're won and lost. It's often those innings that Mm -hmm. that the difference is made. So I don't know. I I just feel like it's, it's a, a a perpetual conversation about bullpens. Um, But as far as the Cardinals are concerned, yeah, I think at this point in the season, there are very real conversations to be had about, okay, are these the right people to put into these, places or do we need a different mix of guys not just uh you know more opportunities to smooth out the the bumps in the road and some of this is you know palente before he became a starter was kind of that guy that okay for the most part he was good occasionally he had bad outings he's a guy that's gonna be there for a couple and so he was a little bit more in that mid-range type of thing a guy that you could use if you were down by one or up by one or whatever the case may be. But obviously he's moved into the rotation now. And Zach Thompson is starting to feel like that kind of yeah. guy too, right? That he mm-hmm. can pitch two or three innings and, and keep you in a ball game or, or keep a lead. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how this all develops, you know, as, you know, if Jordan Hicks starts his comeback, it's, it feels like Steven Matz is a ways off now. So it's going to be probably late in the season before we see him again. Um, but you know, if they go out and acquire a, a starter, you know, maybe that shifts Blonte back in and that strengthens the bullpen in that regard. Um, 
a lot of moving parts in that, but it does feel like they've kind of taken those guys that were, you know, good in both situations. And I think Verhagen at times can be that guy, right? I yeah. mean, we've seen him struggle some, so I'm struggle a little bit this weekend. Um, it doesn't feel like there's too many. I'd have to look it up. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of outings that he comes out completely unscathed, but he doesn't necessarily just like blow up either. Um, so, you know, figuring it all out, that's most job. We don't have to worry about it. We just get to complain about it. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing and you're right. It's something that they, I mean, because bullpens, bullpens are the part of the ball team that can be remade on the fly. Yeah. Um, and the team that you have in April or May, the bullpen that you have then is probably not going to be the bullpen you have in August and September if you're a good team. Uh, it's just going to change over. And yeah. so that's well, that's and and I think I, I feel like I'm hearing this conversation a lot more um, in the last couple of years, particularly as it relates to Cardinals players. I'm sure it's happening elsewhere as well. Um, but on the offensive side of things, you know, we'll talk about a, a kid like Nolan Gorman, right? And mm-hmm. say when, when they bring him up, he needs to play. You know, right. this isn't a, an up and down. This isn't a come ride the bench and pinch hit every now and then kind of thing. That's that's not what's going to allow him to succeed. We talk about hitters who, you know, if they, if they don't get enough at bats, they're going to lose their timing or, or whatever it might be. You know, I think similar conversations are happening. I guess maybe I'm, I'm more aware of them now. Perhaps they've been happening all along, but as it relates to Cardinals pitchers, where look, we're talking about Jordan Hicks, right? Is Jordan Hicks a bullpen guy because you can change his routine and change his appearance schedule and you can ask him to do whatever it is that he needs to do? Or is he a starter because he's actually the most effective when he has a regular routine, when he has a regular schedule? We talked about that a lot with Carlos Martinez. Is that part of what was this big dilemma about how to get the best out of Carlos Martinez. Is he better when he knows he's going to pitch every five days? Or is he better when he has to be ready at a moment's notice, regardless of what the scenario is? And, you know, I think there is a bit of a mental game to play when you're sorting out who's going to play what role in that bullpen. Because if it's a guy that has plenty of talent... Obviously, by making it to a big league roster, there's plenty of talent, plenty Mm -hmm. of skill and plenty of hard work that has gotten him there. But is there that ability to perform the same way regardless of circumstance or is it better to get the best out of that player if it is a bit more defined and if it is a bit more structured and, you know, all of those things come into play. Like like you said, <laughs> it's not our job to figure that out. But I, I think it's interesting kind of comparing those conversations between a, a, a young hitter and a young pitcher to decide, hey, is this a, a reliever in the sense that it doesn't matter when you ask him to pitch or what the circumstance is? He's just going to come in and, his, and do his job. I mean, that's ideal, right? For, for a, a relief pitcher mindset. Or is there a different approach that actually gets more out of their skill set and then how do you work that into the overall pitching you know puzzle for the team it's just uh, it's like I said it's a conversation that I'm fascinated by because I don't know that anyone has all the answers (laughs) um (laughs) if they did I I think we would see somebody with a like flawlessly built bullpen and we don't really see that so it's a it's an ongoing research process that's for sure 
I would think so. Yes. And you know, again, there's always arms out there to, that can go. I mean, we saw them last year, how they plugged in arms in the bullpen right. and the rotation. <laughs> so they can always find somebody probably mm-hmm. if necessary. Uh, maybe they can find this year's team, Mitch McFarlane, to replace last year's. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, sort of how bullpens go, right? Yep. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> um, the offense has not been as much of an issue over the last little bit. Again, even though they lost two out of three to the Red Sox, they made two late rallies that, you know, put games, you know, games that they were losing in the ninth by five runs. Um, they brought the tying run to the plate, um, which was, you know, not expected necessarily. Um, and then scored 11 in the, in the game in the middle. Um, but Tyler O'Neill leaves today with hamstring tightness. We don't know the results. Hopefully it's not a DL stint, but it probably is. Um, you know, I was looking up because Corey Dickerson had a nice game. This would this would be like the way baseball works, right? You know, <laughs> Tyler O'Neill goes out and instead of having to release Corey Dickerson, they can bring him back up. But apparently he had some soreness. His rehab's going to last a little longer. Um, how much does, I mean, we've seen it this year. We saw, but when Tyler O'Neill went out last time, he wasn't performing now he's hitting how much does this really hurt to see the cardinals lose him for a little bit of time maybe i think because we know what tyler o'neill can be it certainly hurts Mm. it uh, not just from the perspective of what he's capable offensively but we know he adds to what happens out there defensively and that may not be his calling card necessarily, but it's certainly a piece of the puzzle that makes the Cardinals outfield everything that it can be, um, which then allows for things like uh, we can talk about a no hitter because you have great defenders in every position on the field. You know, I think we've seen a lot of Juan Yepes in the outfield, which is not the not the most fun experiment in terms of um, defensive uh, skill. But I, I think it, it just... It reiterates the fact that um, Tyler O'Neill spent a long time being a guy that nobody was quite sure of, right? Is he or isn't he going to be capable at the major league level? And I think we've certainly seen him struggle at times. We've seen him go through really rough stretches at the plate. Um, But we've also seen him learn how to adjust. And that's been a lot of fun to watch. Um, You know, this is, again, a, a season where I haven't watched the at-bats as closely as I have in the past. But, um, you know, what Tyler O'Neill is capable of bringing to the table makes the outfield better. It makes the lineup deeper. Um, It'll be interesting to see who gets those plate appearances as well as, um, you know, kind of that time spent in left field. Because you're right, Corey Dickerson, while he would be sort of the automatic answer because of the contract that he signed and because of who he is, I don't know that that really has been the the greatest experiment of the season in terms of his contributions um, offensively to this team. So it's great that they are capable of scoring a bunch of runs um, at times, but you know you you don't like to see too many ins and outs where guys are hurt and then back and then hurt and then back because, like you said, when Tyler O'Neill came back the first time, it took him a bit to to sort of find that stride again and. You know, when you're in a a division race as tight as this one is at the moment, um, it's hard to say those games in June matter more than any other game. But, you know, 
it comes down to it. Uh, if Tyler O'Neill is struggling and you know, has a chance to, to knock in the go-ahead run in a game in June, um, that win or loss may matter just as much um, when you get down to the, to the end of things. So to see Tyler O'Neill at any point not healthy enough to contribute is, I think, a problem. Um, but trying to figure out the right mix of players defensively and offensively without Tyler O'Neill just gets a little bit more complicated. I don't know that it's like this make or break moment um, if it's a temporary thing, but it, it certainly changes the dynamic a bit. Yeah, a little bit. And it may, it, you know, I would assume that the roster move if he went on the aisle would be to bring up Lars Nubar. And that probably yeah. means Juan Yepes plays in the outfield a little bit more, which, you know, Yepes is starting to, you know, maybe a little bit fall through the cracks, although he's gotten some starts and, you know, it, it, it obviously he had a big, big hit today, he hit the home run that, that put the Cardinals within two in the ninth. Um, he's had a couple moments like that. Um, and I, I, again, I think we need to see more of him. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, because I think also we've seen him struggle in the outfield at times. And so again, when you're talking about a team that's, playing for defense. Um, but it was an interesting, there was a Q and a that Katie Wu did with John Moselock in the athletic. And while it's a lot of John Moselock being John Moselock, um, which is, you know, all the stuff that we know, it's always fun to read those because we, you know, we've been in the room with John Moselock quite often and to hear his voice and know exactly how he's saying <laughs> all of this stuff uh, is always interesting. But one thing he did point out was a little bit of, hey, you know, this year, last year we focused defense, 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 defense to the, you know, pretty much the detriment of everything, you know, if it was, yeah. you know, and this year they've decided to, you know, kind of, you know, obviously not give up on defense, but try to find a little bit more balance and to be able to put a bat like Nolan Gorman or Juan Yepes into the lineup, even though they're not necessarily going to win a gold glove. Um, so that's interesting as well um, to see how that dynamic has changed a little bit. Um, and so we'll see, and again, hopefully, you know, they're still to evaluate. It was hamstring tightness. As long as he didn't like pull or strain it too badly, you know, you could think maybe a couple of days off and then be back. Um, that's that's kind of best case scenario. Um, somebody that will not be back in a couple of days is Yadier Molina. <laughs> um, out indefinitely with knee soreness, uh, which is not surprising when you're a 40 year old catcher. Um, that plays pretty much every day or has for the last 20 years. Um, I will say though, I found it very interesting that the Cardinals did that right before an Adam Wainwright start. Yeah. I would have expected it to do like the day after just to give them a chance. Um, uh, on that side of the unemotional side, then you go to the other side where Albert Pujol starts today against a right-handed pitcher, just because <laughs> they wanted the Fenway people to have a chance to see Albert Pujols. I'm not saying either one of those is bad. It's just an interesting dichotomy, a little bit of how they're going to be able to balance these two, especially at a Wayne, that's not a big issue because one, he may be back next year Two, he's being productive and three, he's a pitcher. It's, it's a little bit different, yeah. but how they're going to balance being competitive and winning games with Molina and Pujols versus this is their last shot and people need to see them. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this last week too, right? In terms mm -hmm. of 
when do the Cardinals make that decision a bit more demonstratively about what this season is? Is this a farewell tour and everything else is bonus? Or is this a run at a championship? Because those two things are not necessarily going to lead you to the same decisions as far as the play on the field. Uh, pool hole starting against a, a right-handed pitcher today. I, those kinds of things, it's going to drive fans crazy because we all know it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. We all know the numbers don't bear that out. That's not an analytics choice. That is an right. emotional choice. Mm-hmm. And while I'm not like you, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing because I think, you know, there is this idea that it's it's good for the game for people to have this sort of emotional connection to what's going on. And I agree with that. I think they're figuring out what that balance is between, you know, not denying that that emotional connection to players and to the game and to the excitement of the moment and the possibilities of history and all those things, not denying that that is real and valid and important, but simultaneously not sort of selling yourself out for that possible moment when you know it's entirely unlikely that anything good is going to come of it as far as the the actual results are concerned um so with with Pujols I think it's going to be that that sort of roller coaster all season of mm-hmm. how do we weigh the significance of the moment and the significance <laughs> of the st- of the stats right and what they say and how important this this series is or this win is or whatever um now, it would be foolish to say that Albert Pujols getting a start in Boston, the last game of the series against a right-handed starter, is the reason they didn't win that game. No. Because there's plenty more that went into that uh, as far as that game is concerned. But it, it it is a conversation that I think a lot of people are going to look at and sort of scratch their head from just the pure baseball point of view of saying like, hey, we're but you want to win this game, right? <laughs> like there's probably a better option if that's really what your, what your end game is. Um, and with, with Molina, I was also surprised at the timing um, just a day before a, a Wainwright start, because there's been so much, I, it's almost sort of the opposite thing, right? It's almost like <laughs> there's been so much buildup and there is such an emotional connection to the Adam Wainwright, Yadi or Molina battery numbers right just the starts that they have together they talk about it all the time it's on its headlines it's photos it's you know whatever um and then to just kind of be like yeah get but he's hurt so that can wait (laughs) um it felt a a bit opposite to what Mm -hmm. we've seen at times with albert pujol so i guess if you want the glass half full perspective of that or the analysis of that it's that like they are aware of the actual impact of of the day-to-day decisions on the game. Um, I think it was even without my watching very closely uh, in the last couple of months. I mean, Molina hasn't exactly been all-star version of himself, um, particularly in the last little bit here. So it's, it's maybe obvious or, or clear that he needs the time to deal with the knee issue. Um, but it's, I think you're right. It's going to be the story all season is how do you, um, how do you make decisions and what are they based on in terms of players and their productivity and the best case scenario for a team win, not just a a player moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's difficult. I mean, you know, Albert goes out, strikes out three times today and that you're getting, that's not the biggest reason 
but it didn't help in the either. So, um, you know, and we've seen Molina run out there and obviously if he was dealing with this knee soreness, which he's probably been dealing with all year long, um, <coughs> it was interesting that he would play as much as he did, although they did, you know, did get Ender Kisner out there some. Um, it's interesting. I mean, again, that's just that extra little layer that's going to get uh, added on to this year. And you just hope they don't lose a game, you know, lose a, you know, division by game or something. And you, and you know, like what's so interesting to me about that is that if you think about the 30,000, 40,000 fans at a, a sold out game at Bush Stadium, right? Mm-hmm. The percentage of people in that stadium who care more about getting to see their favorite player on the field compared to the people in the stadium who are like, but do you know what the, what the <laughs> matchup numbers are between him and the, the opposing pitcher? Like the reality is there aren't as many people like us right. <laughs> who are looking at it from that perspective of like, mm, is this decision actually going to cost you a win or help you get that win on the back end of these things? As much as people are are connected to those players emotionally, so I get it. I get that 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 comes into play with more. Um, I guess not even casual fans. I'm not. I'm not even saying this is like a oh you just aren't paying attention enough to know. It's just a lot of people. A lot of people love baseball for their connection to the game more than for their understanding of the statistical analysis that weirdos like us do all the time. <laughs> so I get it. And I, I I hesitate to even say that it's a bad thing. I think it's just, it, it's, it depends on the the goal of the decision or the goal of the conversation, right? Is the, is the goal really to win as many games as humanly possible and make decisions accordingly? Or is it to play America's pastime and give people a show and, you know, connect to people along the way and all those things. Neither one of those is necessarily wrong. It's just how you're looking at the game and and what you think the priority is. Now, I will say, <laughs> I do still think that the organizational goal should be to win championships <laughs> because right. that is um, that is what builds <coughs> a lot of that connection with a fan base or with a city or, or with young kids who then get to see their heroes on the greatest stage and all those things, as we have discussed ad nauseum in the last couple of years uh, in trying to determine what the organization's actual goals are. But, you know, it's just... It, people watch baseball for different reasons and some people would rather see Albert Pujols get three at bats than uh, think too hard about whether the matchup makes sense. And I get that. Yeah. I mean, there needs to be, there still needs to be some emotion in this thing. Otherwise yeah. it's, you know, let's just computer generate a lineup and <laughs> exactly, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's, there is some of that. And especially in, you know, ultimate situations like the, what we're seeing with Pujols and Molina, definitely needs to have that so i don't know we'll see how this week goes uh the cardinals spend four days in milwaukee then come home and host the cubs for the first time this season um so we'll see i'm sure albert will get a few at bats here and there um and we'll see how how he can do with them hopefully hopefully it's maybe limited to a lefty if, if at all possible so that'd be nice yeah it would be nice so until <laughs> next time for tara i'm daniel good night Hey, Cardinals fans, thanks for listening to this week's show. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on iTunes. Just search Gateway to Baseball Heaven under Podcasts and click subscribe. 
While you're there, feel free to give us five of those little gold stars or even a quick review. And tune in next time as we break down another week in baseball heaven.